If you're new or if you've been journeying with us for a while, you know that we're in Luke and Acts. We're doing it for the whole entire year. Honest question, how many of you have kind of dipped a little, just dipped a little in your reading plan? All right, all right, a couple of you being truthful. I had a couple of weeks where I, I just went and forgot that I was supposed to be reading. Um, one was Easter week, I just missed it. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to spend every week in one chapter of Luke. This past week was Luke 17. Next week's Luke 18. And even if you've missed it, you can just spend just a week just reading through it. But you've heard me say this, is that Luke was written by one man, about one man, for one man. And Luke and Acts was written by one man, about one man, Jesus, and really one spirit and one church in Luke and Acts, for one man who was Theophilus. I mean, he wrote all of these chapters hoping that this one guy would begin to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, what's amazing is if you came to my house, um, you would walk into our, our, our kind of front door and to the right, what should be like a living room has become uh, my wife's art studio. Um, she's, a, she's a painter, she's an artist. Um, it's, it's quite incredible what she's able to, to make. But it's amazing is um, just this one paintbrush, if I hand it to her, what she can do with it is unbelievable. It's, it's amazing, it's stunning, it's compelling. You hand me this same paintbrush and I can barely do a stick figure. It's the same paintbrush, it's an adamant object, but somehow in some people's hands, it's unbelievable. Maybe for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Any of you know how to, how to work a grill? Like literally, you're really good. You're a smoker, you're like, Traeger's my, tra I'm green egg. Like, you just know, I'm a Weber guy. Like, you just know. I, 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 can, I can get around a grill. I can, I can like not burn a steak. But there's a difference from like having a steak that's just like not burned to having something that is so good. And there are some guys that I'll watch and I'm like doing exactly what they do on the grill I've been marinating it just like they told me to, but I taste their steak and I taste mine and it tastes different. And that frustrates me. You have the same grill as them. Watching the same YouTube videos as them. But there is a unique skill that they have that I don't have. Or for some of you, if you, like me, love the game of basketball, it's the greatest game. I, I played basketball yesterday for like the first time in like years. My body is so sore right now. But I was playing uh, yesterday and this guy was talking a whole bunch of trash. And I, I love it. I like when people talk trash because I like to give it back to them in a godly way, of course. But like I, I, I give it back and, and I look at this guy and he's like running his mouth. He's turning the ball over. He's just running his mouth. I said, hey, 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 can I tell you something? He's like, yeah, there's a big difference. He's like, what's that, man? I said, there's a big difference between getting paid to play basketball and paying to play basketball. And every single one of us, we paid five bucks to play open gym. So the truth is, none of us are that good. So be quiet. He looked his head down, walked away, and I, I hit the game-winning shot on him. I felt good. But hey, back to the sermon. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth. I hand this ball, it's the same ball. I hand it to my fourth grader. She's trying to learn how to learn how to dribble. But I hand the same ball to Seth Curry. That guy can just hit from anywhere. He's like unguardable. Give it to LeBron yesterday. Unbelievable. You, you sit here and you, you watch. It's the same basketball. But somehow, in certain people's hands, 
It can do incredible things. What I came to realize, though, is there's, there's something profoundly different between a unique skill and biblical priorities. And here's what I mean. There's some stuff that every one of us, we have a unique superpower, a unique skill. Some of you, you know how to capture light with photography. Some of you know how to paint. But then there are certain priorities that every one of us, every one of us can learn how to master. It's not based on skill. It's just based on actually us following the way of the scriptures. For instance, we are all given 168 hours in a given week. How we choose to spend that is biblical or it's not. Or if I actually gave you 20 bucks, it's not based on skill how you spend this money. What's based on is actually do you look at it from a biblical perspective? Does this make sense? There's unique skills, but there's biblical priorities. Now, what's amazing is I told you that Luke, Luke and Acts was written by one man, about one man, for one man. But the truth is, is when you begin to dive even deeper, you begin to re recognize that Luke was a doctor. Theophilus was like this, this person of power and influence. He had resources. And so Luke is wealthy, writing to a man, Theophilus, who is wealthy about how to actually live sincerely and obedient to God, to Christ, to his kingdom, while being wealthy. And the truth is, every one of us in this room, in, the, in comparison to the world's standards, we are all profoundly wealthy. Four billion people on our planet live on less than $2 a day. You do the math of that? They're living on less than $800 a year. Many, many people in the world don't have the roofs that we have, the homes that we have, the schools that we have, the opportunities that we have. And what's amazing is Luke, one of the four gospels, is actually written to help someone who has great means hold those means in a biblical way. And for some of us, we were taught this as kids. We were taught this from our grandparents. We were taught this from some leaders or pastors or mentors. But for many of us, we weren't. And we've been left trying to figure it out. But actually, when you begin to walk through every chapter in Luke and Acts, you will see that Luke is strategically in writing about Theophilus having a conversion. And oftentimes in the church, we talk about having a conversion to Jesus, which is amazing. But the deeper and deeper you go with Jesus, you will recognize that you will have second conversions. And those second conversions might be around race. Paul's trying to get an entire group of people to understand that there's a new humanity, Ephesians chapter 2, where the wall has just fallen between the Gentile and the Jew, that we are one in Christ. There is this conversion when it comes to men and women. There is a conversion that comes to money. And the truth is, we've seen churches not do it well. But it doesn't mean when you look through the scriptures that we shouldn't talk about it and talk about it, the biblical priority of what we do with our money. So just for, just for a little bit of kicks, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter one, and we're just gonna spend a few moments. I just wanna walk you through, just so you don't think I'm making anything up about Luke. Luke talks about money nonstop. You see Luke chapter one. I'm just gonna walk through just, just a handful of chapters. 
Handful of chapters. You see Luke chapter 1 where you, you find out that Mary, Mary is going to give birth to the child that's going to redeem and rescue and restore everything. Look what it says in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Now, you might read this right from the jump and be like, oh my goodness, like, is, is, is Luke going to throw shade on the rich? No, no, no. He's actually writing to a very wealthy person and he's going to show story after story about where wealthy people got it wrong and story after story where you are surprised by how wealthy people got it right because they learned the secret art of making money behave. You get to chapter three, you see John the Baptist, he's out, I mean, this guy's wearing like camel hair and like eating locusts and honey. He's just a wild man outside the temple and people are coming to hear his teaching and his entire teaching was centering on this conversion experience and actually repenting and one of the primary practices after their repentance was how they handled money. You see this in verse 10, chapter three. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. It's like, stop stealing. Handle the money well. You get to chapter four. Chapter four, Jesus' first sermon is him quoting Isaiah 61, which is all this prophetic message about a year of Jubilee. And what's a year of Jubilee? Well, every 50th year, you would be freed from paying any debt. So no more Capital One payments, no more Chase credit card payments. You were freed from debt. And if you were incarcerated, you were set free. This was known as the year of Jubilee. And Jesus was saying in the kingdom of God, every year is the year of Jubilee because in our house, we forgive people's debts. And he was preaching this. So this is why people were like, no, no, you get out of this. Like you are bad for business. But Jesus was trying to help people understand when he says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that's just Jubilee. You get to chapter 5, who is one of the first people that Jesus calls to be his Talmudim, his student, his apprentice, his disciple? Levi. And what's Levi? A tax collector. Look what it says, verse 27, chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Leachrai, follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And you start looking at chapter six. I'm not even gonna read verses in there, but you have a whole sense of the wise and foolish. You go to chapter seven. There's the story of Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. She's like pouring pure nard, which costs tons of money. Uh, you have the parable of the sower in chapter eight, verses one, two, and three. It says this, after, Jesus, Jesus, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So he's just going from city to city, from Rockford to Belvedere, from Belvedere to Elgin, from Elgin to Hoffman, from Hoffman to Schaumburg, from Schaumburg, and he's just making his way around. But to do that, that costs money. And, and you start to read Verses two on, this is the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, 
from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And hear this verse. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I go to chapter nine, Jesus sending out the the 12, not having them bring very much. I can tell you about Jesus feeding 5,000, which is a whole statement about poor and the rich. You can do chapter 10. I mean, every chapter in the book of Luke. You get even to chapter 23 of Luke, and you see a man by the name of Joseph, who is a wealthy man, who's actually going to Pilate, and he's like, hey, let me, let me buy a tomb. Let me take care of Jesus' body. And this is what Joseph of Amarathia does. He, he, and so what, what Luke's trying to do is he's like, hey, Theophilus, you have influence, you have power, you have wealth. There is a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way. You get to the book of Acts. You see in every chapter of the book of Acts some conversation around money. Again, many of us have not learned how to make money behave. And I've been a pastor for 20-some years, and the majority of people who come and sit in my office, some are just grieving because of unforeseen loss. I get that. But then there's another group of people who don't know the art of forgiveness and trying to help them on that. But then there's a whole crew of people in marriages, in relationships, and thinking about the future, and being stuck with some sense of anxiety. And oftentimes, maybe the fifth question, the seventh question, I'll simply ask this. Tell me about your relationship with money. And you can just see. What's amazing is so many churches talk about, like, oh, man, money, money, money. It's, it's, for me, it's not about money at all. For many of us, we struggle with the sense of being in control. But we haven't learned the secret of being content. For some of us, we, we find ourselves having the secret of greed, but we haven't understood the power of grace and the secret of being freed. For some of us, we're, we have this sense with money and it just grips us. And you think about the, the struggles with your wife, the struggles with your husband. Oftentimes, the biggest arguments are what? About money. About future. I don't know if I'm going to have enough about money, and this is one of the ways in which money is just a prop, and when you can learn to make money behave, you know what you actually become? Generous, gracious, free, blessed. Changes everything. And right from the jump of the first church in Acts chapter two, you see the way that they demonstrate how the spirit is on the move, Look what it says in verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because there was a sense of freedom, a sense of joy. When people are controlled by their money, they start to misbehave. But when people know how to make money behave, they walk in a sense of trust and peace and freedom, and that is profoundly contagious. Whenever you see someone who has this sense of worship and joy 
and freedom and sincerity and gladness and goodness. Aren't you like, I wish I had a little bit more of that. When you see people who are just so tight, so controlling, so just like judgmental, and you're like, please, I don't need any more of that. And from the jump, the first church, this is what they were known as. You get to chapter four, and this will be the last one that I read of Acts, but I could go through all of these chapters. It says this, verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that were needy, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses and sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we, we know Barnabas, he, he just became this one of encouragement, but he was someone who, man, a wealthy person who that money didn't own him. It was just a conduit to encourage and to bless other people. You get to chapter five and you hear about two other people who absolutely sold some land and they tried to sh actually look more holier than they were, but there was greed in their heart and they experienced profound punishment. So again, what, what Luke would be writing to, to us, to the American church, and people who have so much influence and so much money, so much at our disposal, he would say, hey, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Or maybe I can just break it down as simple as this. Every time that you get paid is a priority test. Every time. Every time money is deposited into your account because of the hard work at which you do, it's a priority test. Every time you earn money, it's a priority test. It is a chance to rank your priorities. And again, for many of us, when money comes up, people start to squirm. I think it's pastoral malpractice not to talk about it when money is at the center of most divorces. Money is at the center of most controlling and tightly wound people. And I think of the kingdom of God, we're supposed to look at money as an inanimate object to go, I could actually make it behave or it can make me misbehave. And I'm actually someone who wants to follow Jesus and he taught me how to make it behave. So make it plain and it's really, really easy. So what I came to discover a couple uh, months ago, I, uh, I sat down at a restaurant and I'm having food with my son and my wife and my daughter and the waiter and the waitress um, there was like a tag team and, and she was like training up this younger waiter, but they were awesome. They were so amazing. Any of you work in restaurants here? Raise your hand. All right, any of you waiters? All right, if, if, if you know a waiter, tip them well. Um, because they, they do so much work. But I was trying to teach my son about tipping. So we get the bill, I don't know, let's say it's like $27. We get this bill, $27, and I'm like, hey, sometimes if the waiter's not great, people choose to not tip people well. Some people don't even tip at all. I said, it's like, it's like terrible. He said, well, what's an appropriate tip? And I said, I typically, if the person's great, minimum I'll do 20%. He said, oh, 
Okay, so we're like doing this. I have them write it out, boom. We leave and I start to think about this. I start to think about the conversations that I've had about money when people have come into my office over the years. And I start to understand that for some of us, when we hear about generosity, or we have the, as Park said, the, the KFC buckets go by. We have this moment where for some of us, I think we look as, at God as our waiter. And we think about the past week and we go, was God good to me? And if God was good to me, oh, I'll throw a couple bucks his way to say thank you. That's good service. You served me well this week, God. Any of you, any of you just had moments where you've, that's just run through your brain? Early on in my faith, I was constantly tipping God. God, you were good to me. God, you, were, you, you, helped, me, you helped me in this, this classroom. I didn't get a ticket here. Um, I should have gotten a ticket there. Like, you helped me, you helped me, you helped me. And so because of that, here's a little tip. Here's a little tip. I think some of us, this is what we do. But that if you go this route, you do not pass the priority test. And you will not be someone who's generous. The second, the second way that I found is that some of us, we get paid and we, we don't tip God. We feel entitled to it all. I earned this. I was, I was working in the manufacturer plant. I was building the company. I was speaking. God, what did, what did, what did you do? I earned it all and it's mine. And just, just in the sense of entitled, and you're like, it's mine, think about now, if this is mine, now just put your redemption story. It's my story. Now just put all of your spiritual gifts. No, they're my gifts. And all of a sudden, the actual converse of living a life of entitlement is it becomes all about you, and Apple is brilliant iPhone, iPad, even Time Magazine, the people of the year, like 10 years ago, who was it? It was you. I mean, it's just like amazing. Everything is so centered around us. And for many of us, everything is about me. And I'm telling you what, you will become profoundly anxious, profoundly controlling profoundly judgmental, profoundly comparison-oriented when you live the life of entitlement. And I'm just trying to speak plain and honest and human. You will not pass the priority test. A couple weeks ago, I said, I began to realize, oh, there's another way. There's another way. I, 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 like, I, like, I like meat. I like meat on bones. I'm married to a vegetarian. We're trying to work that out in counseling. Um, <laughs> But like meat on bones, man, I'm telling you, like ribeyes and steaks and, and ribs and buffalo wings. But have you, you ever had this moment, though, like where I was just watching my son and he was just like, he just had the, some buffalo barbecue sauce wings and he's just eating them. He's just eating them. We're just watching him. He just eats it off the bone. I'm sorry, I'm talking with my mouth open, but it, it's, it's got a point. And it hits me. Some of us get paid and we think about, oh, all that has to go out. So we are like, oh, I got to pay that mortgage. Got to pay that for that Honda Civic. Got to pay that for those shoes. Got to pay for that Hulu. The wifey. 
And all of a sudden, we're just like eating and eating. And then we get to the end and we're like, if there's any scraps, I'll give that to God. And we call that an offering. Isn't it amazing? What do, they, what do they call when you take it to go? What do they call the scraps? A doggy bag. And sometimes when it comes to money, this is how many of us have been trained. Oh, yeah, I got to do all this. Everything has to go out. It's got to go out. It's go out, go out, go out, go out. And if there's anything left over at the very end, those scraps I give, and I call that a sacrifice. Can someone help me make sense of that? And for much of my life, friends, I'm telling you, I lived this out. God, you were good to me. I'll give you a little back. No, man, it's all mine. It's all mine. It's all mine. You know, I got, I got, I got so much. I got school loans. I got, I'll, you know, I'll just give you some scraps. And it wasn't until a mentor began to preach that message to me. And God has only ever, always been faithful to you. And you've got to pass the priority test. And every time you get paid, it's about spiritual formation. It's actually how you decide to handle that money is going to transform you to be someone who's free and at peace and not in control and trusting and living in dependence or not. And really the choice is ours. What I came to find out in the priority test and the T, and you're gonna know what it is, is just simply a tithe. And the tithe is where we give 10%. And, and, and again, I, I think about this. It's just so important for every one of us. And you might be sitting here going, wow, really? Really? And again, I don't care. I don't care what you give, honestly. I don't. What I care is that you would actually represent Christ well. That you would be a person of joy and peace and freedom and grace. That's my job as a pastor is to do whatever it takes to try and help you see that that's the kingdom invitation. But the world will tell you, no. And they'll tell you, just get more stuff. And what's that more stuff gonna give you is a longing for, ah, I don't know if I have enough. I don't have enough. I need more and I need more. And I'm telling you, there are two avalanches and there are two snowball theories and one way is gonna lead you to peace and grace and wholeness and truth and one way is gonna lead you to profound despair. And trust me, I love money. I'm not, but it doesn't own me. I long to have more of it so I can give more of it away. And that's, that's, that's the heart of it. But you, you read the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and God's saying, you are robbing me. And the people are like, how are we robbing you? And he says this, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And look what he says, test me in this. That's where the whole idea of the priority test comes from. Test me in this. Are you a tipper? Are you just kind of just living entitled? Are you giving me the scraps? Or are you trusting me with the full tithe? Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 
It's amazing. A number of years ago, I was preaching in Newport Beach, California. And if you've never been to Newport Beach, it's one of the most beautiful places. I get done teaching, and I see someone that I recognize, but I'm forgetting his name. And he comes up and he says, hey, man, it's Andy. I'm like, oh, bro, yes. And we had done ministry a decade before together. And I'm like, man, what, what are you up to now? And he's like, oh, man, I just became a sommelier. I'm like, you moved to Somalia? He's like, no, 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 man. Like, I, I'm like, what, what? He's like, I work with wine. I'm like, oh. He's like, I just took a test, and now I'm a level two psalm, and there's only like a, like a hundred of us in the country. And I'm like, Wow. I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I talk about wine. I was like, wow. He, and then this was his line. Like, you talk about sports, I talk about wine. I was like, wow, that's cool. And there's a job for that? He's like, yeah. I just got a job at this restaurant. And basically, I just walk to tables and tell people which wine will go with their food. And they pay you? And he's like, they pay me well. I'm like, wow. He goes, um, what are you doing for dinner tonight? I'm like, oh, man, I, I got... These two interns, like a 22-year-old and a 26-year-old, and then I got a 23-year-old who doesn't have a job but decided to go on vacation to California, and now we're meeting up with them. It's just the four of us. He's like, well, come by the restaurant. I'm like, where is it? He's like, Pacific Coast Highway. I'm like, I know that. It's right on the water. This is going to be expensive. And so I show up. <laughs> I sit down at this table, and there's like a long line outside. And all of a sudden, like, two bottles of wine show up. And I, I have a sense because there's no like penguins or animals on the bottles of wine. This might be expensive. And food just starts coming. And I'm looking at like 22-year-old intern who's like, oh, this is such good food. 26-year-old intern who's, a, who's in a, trying to get his, his you know, master divinity so he has no money. And then I got the guy who has no job. He definitely doesn't have any money. And they're just mooching and eating at the table. And I'm having a full-blown panic attack. <laughs> I take a picture of the bottle of wine. And I'm like, I got to use the restroom. I go to the restroom. I go to Binnie's.com. And I look up the wine. $248 bottle of wine. Now, you know that's not what the restaurant's charging. That's what Captain Binnie's is charging. And I'm sitting here going, I have no idea. I have not ordered anything. Food is just coming. And I'm sitting here going, and this guy's just going from table to table, talking about wine, talking about wine, talking about wine. And I'm like, hey, hey, get over here. These three are just mooching and eating and grubbing and having the time of their life. And I can't even enjoy it. And finally, I look at Andy. I'm like, hey, man, man, man. Bro, I don't think I can pay for it. He goes, I know. It's free. I'm like, what? Yeah, just enjoy it. It's on me. And that release, <laughs> I, like, I will have this. No, I, that, that sense of release, and I walked outside of that restaurant, and the guys were like, that was the best meal. Wow. And I'm like, you know what that is? It's just grace. Because at the heart of it is grace pays the bill. The question now becomes is what are you going to do with that grace? You, you got something that you did not earn and you did not deserve. I got something I did not earn, I did not deserve, and now what are you going to do with it? My friends, this is, this is what we are invited to. Can I give you one more text and then a couple quick little challenges before we go? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's one of my favorite passages because it's dealing with a church that has gone through profound poverty. 
And Paul is is so moved because this church is begging Paul for the chance to prove that they understand what Jesus did on the cross. And now Paul has been so blown away by their grace and their generosity that he's actually using them to challenge the Corinthian church. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, if I can find it, it's here, I promise. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And here's the question. Here's the question. How are you doing with the priority test? I go back to the line that I said a couple times. God has always ever only been faithful to you. But here's what I came to realize reading through that text is that we get to decide. I love what, the, what Paul says is everyone should decide in their heart. Man, this is, this is how I want to actually live out and pass this priority test. And then right after it, it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I, I, I'd, I'd love to try something because a couple of churches that I've served at, one of the things that I brought in because I think worship music, this worship team I think is so stunning and amazing, but I actually think generosity is an act of worship. And when it says that God loves a cheerful giver, people used to celebrate and cheer when they had the, the opportunity to give back to God. Trevor, he's away this week because it's his anniversary, so he went to Milwaukee with his wife. He's gonna be back here next week. And here's my, here's my hope. I hope it actually sticks. Is that when Trev says, all right, can we pass the buckets for generosity? I think all of us should scream and lose our ever-loving mind. <laughs> because it's actually a discipline that we have breath in our lungs, that we have been forgiven, that God has entrusted us with the resource and we get to give back to him. And for me, I will worship and I will sing about the grace, but I will worship and I will cheer that God has entrusted me and called me faithful to hold money. And I'm saying back to him, I trust you, God. In the here and the now and the forever, amen? Amen. So next week, can you try this with me? Can we just try it one time? All right, everyone, can you pass the baskets? And you would all go? All right, all right, all right. Don't tell them, just do it, just do it. I'll be in Elgin, but just do it. I can't wait to hear the report. Second thing is this, if, if you haven't actually decided to give, um, we, we have that, those QR codes that, you, that come up, ways to give. It's just a way, and again, you get to decide in your heart. You get to pray through that, that's on you. I, I, all I care about is that you're moving towards more grace and generosity and peace of spirit. That's all I want. And so the people look at your life and go, that guy looks and that woman looks more like Jesus. But here's another way that you can give. Another way, and you might not know this, is that we actually own this mall. We're trying to in many ways, but like um, there's two thrift stores. And when we actually, people go to these thrift stores and buy stuff, the proceeds actually go to help fund this church. And the share stuff and the team is unbelievable. There's a picture here of mattresses. Um, Our executive team moved like 80 mattresses recently. And they're like refurbished, amazing mattresses. But I'm just telling you this, man, there's so, so many ways that we can be people who are generous of spirit. But you get to decide. But let us all be a cheerful giver. Amen?
All right, can you stand? I'd love to give you a closing prayer before we release you. I want you to know that this Friday night, trivia night, anyone going to trivia night? There, you can show up as an individual. You can show up with a team. I heard Chris Hankins is dressing in 80s gear. Um, there's going to be prizes. You can go register. It's going to be awesome. But would you put your hands out? And I'd love to give you a blessing, my friends. My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, may you know that God gave his best for you. And may you know that God has entrusted you with unique skills, yes, but he's also entrusted you with the opportunity to uphold the biblical priorities. And may this week, may you walk and choose the biblical, more kingdom, more Jesus way in every area of your life so that your life will be filled with more peace and grace and freedom and generosity. And may we all be cheerful givers from this day on. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace.